John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. Join late night legend John Stewart and the best news team for today's biggest headlines, exclusive extended interviews, and more. Now this is a second term we can all get behind. Listen to The Daily Show Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Joe McCormick. And we're back with the fourth and final part in our series on diamonds. Now, if you haven't heard the other three parts, you might want to go back and listen to those first, though I guess this series is probably okay if you do them out of order, though we will refer to things we've already talked about in previous episodes. Uh, Brief recap of what we talked about in the uh, parts that already aired. We addressed in the first episode the widely held belief that diamond fragments or diamond powder are poisonous if ingested. And we talked about some alleged attempted diamond poisonings in history. Uh, the, The short modern read on that is that it seems like diamond powder is probably not actually reliably poisonous, but uh, just to be safe, we were still saying, you know, I probably wouldn't eat it. We talked a bit about the conditions under which diamonds form. There's going to be some more about that today. We talked about their physical properties and a bit about their use in ancient cultures in ancient India, China, and the Roman Empire. In the last episode, we talked about uh, some strange ancient beliefs recorded in the writings of Pliny the Elder and some other sources that uh, in order to shatter a diamond, you must first soften it in the blood of a he-goat. That's a good one. Mm-hmm. We also talked about the legend found in multiple cultures that there is this so-called Valley of Gems uh, where diamonds litter the ground, but you can't just go down there and get them because there are, I don't know, poisonous, uh, venomous snakes or some kind of monster or beast or something down there. There's some kind of danger. Uh, So you've got to have clever ways of getting the diamonds up to the cliffs above. Uh, Our favorite method that we read about involved uh, meat, getting the meat. That's right. And so in today's episode, we have... uh uh, a couple of other avenues we want to discuss uh, later on in the podcast. I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, diamond body modification. So we'll get back into this idea of diamonds and human bodies coming together. Uh, but before we get to that, uh, Joe, uh, I understand you want to return to something we touched on in the last episode. 
Well, that's right. So in the last episode, I did a bit on the question of whether diamonds can burn. Can can they be fuel in a fire? The answer is yes. They are carbon-based, and you, you can have a diamond fire, uh, though they take higher temperature. They have higher ignition temperatures and may require more oxygen supply than uh, most normal fuels you'd have, like wood or coal. Uh, but this raised the question do diamonds actually come from coal? Uh, now, as I said in the last episode, anecdotally, this seems to be a common belief. Unfortunately, this is one of those where I was reading about it before I actually checked my pre-existing knowledge. So I don't know if I would have said that diamonds are formed out of coal or not. Rob, was this was this a belief banging around in your head? Um, yes, but only because of that scene in Superman three, you know, yeah, it's like okay. if Superman does it, then I'm, I'm just assuming that he's, he's correct. Who's going to doubt the man of steel? I cannot argue with you there. So it, anecdotally, it does seem to be a common belief and it's easy to see why people would think this diamonds and coal are both types of compressed carbon dug up from underground. So you might just assume that when a coal formation undergoes intense heat and pressure, it gets pressed and compressed and compressed until it turns into diamonds. And that's where diamonds come from. And even some old books and authorities on diamonds do seem to suggest they believe this, that diamonds come from coal. Uh, but more recent sources argue that this is not the case, at least not for most diamonds. Uh, I should point out that this is something I'm sure came up for you as well, Joe, in your diamond research is that um, diamonds, uh, this is the, the, the subject of diamonds. This is a, another one of those areas where you have a lot of websites often associated with jewelers um, that are going yeah. after like search engine optimization. And so there's a lot of like diamond content dump going on. Um, you, you see this with other like, businesses and areas as well. It occasionally turns up that uh, 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 I kept encountering that in, in my, um, in my research, um, it sort of drove me out of the traditional uh, search mode into some of the, like a uh, Google scholar and so forth. Um, but there are a lot of websites out there that are uh, clearly the main idea is like, let's just move up in the search for diamonds because we're trying to sell them. Exactly. Yeah. Some, uh, jewel retailer who, who've got the pages on the website, like interesting diamond facts or something, yeah. you know, and it's like they're not citing sources. You can't rely right. on this. So you got you got to trudge through all that to get to something real. Some of it might be good. Some of it might be good. But uh, yeah, a, a lot of it is not sourced and so forth. But anyway, I guess that does come now that we're talking about sources. So I found a number of books on geology and gems making the simple claim that no diamonds do not come from coal but usually without any further explanation. So I was looking for somebody to really explain, like, how do we know they don't come from coal? Mm. And the most extensive exploration of this uh, that I turned up was on the, the good old geology.com website, uh, which I'm sure you've hit before, Rob, which mm -hmm. does have solid articles that are uh, well-cited and, you know, listing sources and all that. Mm -hmm. So it's one of these articles by the geologist Hobart King, who I think uh, is the author of, of most of what's on geology.com. Or what does the king have to say about this? Well, king seems to be in line with the modern consensus here that uh, coal very rarely and possibly never plays a role in the formation of diamonds. How can we know this? Uh, one reason he cites, and I mentioned this briefly in the last episode, is that most diamonds that can be dated are older than most coal. 
So we can actually test the age of diamonds through radiometric dating, though it's a little bit complicated because, of course, uh, we can't use carbon dating on them. The half-life of carbon-14 that you use to, uh, you, you test the decay of that in order to use carbon dating, that's too short in time to accurately date materials that are on the order of millions of years old or more. This is why you can't use carbon dating for, you know, anything from the age of the dinosaurs or anything like that. Carbon dating is useful for carbon-based remains that are on the scale of, like, thousands of years or tens of thousands of years old. Yeah, and as we discussed, diamonds are much older. Right. So if carbon dating isn't accurate for things as old as diamonds and diamonds are made of carbon, how can we test their age? Well, you can use different radioactive decay series tests on things uh, such as mineral inclusions in diamonds, meaning occasionally you can find a diamond with bits of other minerals that are trapped inside it or trapped along with it. And when scientists do these uh, tests, these radioactive decay series tests on diamond inclusions, it seems that most diamonds are more than a billion years old. The common range I've seen is that the youngest diamonds are just shy of a billion years old and the oldest are more than three billion years old. And that means that natural diamonds can be the, the ones that can be dated are pretty much all older than the evolution of the first land plants. Plants first appeared in the Cambrian era, you know, roughly 500 million years ago, and they didn't really flourish on land until later, with the big coal-forming period being more like 300 million years ago, known as the Carboniferous period, which literally means like the coal-forming period. Since land plants are the source of the carbon in most coal deposits, it is unlikely that diamonds would have formed one to three billion years ago out of a chain of metamorphosis that has to start with a type of organism that didn't exist yet. Wow. That, I, why isn't this in the diamond commercials? You'd think that would be an interesting selling point. Yeah, you, like if this is a diamond that came out of the earth and wasn't like made in a lab or something, uh, it probably is billions of years old. Hmm. It's from a time when the only life on earth was like single-celled organisms. So that's one reason for thinking diamonds are generally not formed from coal. Another reason is that coal seams and diamonds are found in completely different geological contexts. Mm. Coal is found in sedimentary rocks uh, formed by the deposition of layers of material on Earth's surface. These layers of material eventually get buried, they get horizontally compressed, and they harden into rock strata with the, with the coal in, in, uh, you know, trapped there in the sedimentary rocks. Meanwhile, diamonds are usually found in vertical formations of igneous rocks. Igneous rocks are formed by fire. These are rocks that are created when magma cools and hardens into a solid. So coal and diamonds, you're going to find them in totally different uh, geological settings. King goes on to list the four known natural sources of diamonds, uh, and he says that these are formation in the Earth's mantle, formation in subduction zones, formation at impact sites, and formation in space. Now, we talked in the last episode about diamonds that are formed in space and occasionally found in meteorites, and we also talked about diamonds that are 
created by the incredible heat and pressure of space impacts. So, for example, if you have like a 10-kilometer asteroid traveling at 20 kilometers per second, it enters Earth's atmosphere, it, it hits or explodes, uh, there's going to be, and it does that over an area with rocks bearing carbon, uh, maybe rocks that have graphite in them, which is a form of carbon-based mineral that's less dense than a diamond, that impact uh, and the, the heat and pressure there could turn the graphite in the rocks into diamonds. Now, King says, in this case, technically, the carbon could also come from coal. So, like, the asteroid maybe hits an area with, uh, with exposed or near-surface coal seams, but most diamonds are not formed by space impact. So that could happen, but most of the diamonds you come across are not going to be fr from this source. Instead, King says basically all the diamonds that are commercially mined on Earth are the kind that are created deep down in the forge of the Earth's mantle. Uh, now, we already mentioned a bit about diamond formation in the mantle in a previous episode, but just to refresh, scientists generally believe that the conditions of heat and pressure that you need in order to create a diamond only occur in certain areas, usually at a depth of about 150 kilometers or greater from the surface, which is well below the crust, deep into the mantle. And uh, usually this would be around the interior of continental plates. That is, uh, that is, of course, way too deep to mine. We do not have any mines that go down 150 kilometers underground. Uh, so we can only mine diamonds that are brought closer to the surface somehow. Uh, and as we mentioned in, I think, part two, maybe uh, we find these diamonds in and around these vertical pipes of igneous rock known as kimberlite or lamproite pipes. And these are uh, vertical columns of rock that were formed long ago by incredibly explosive volcanic eruptions from deep in the mantle. So magma from below flows up to the surface rapidly and sometimes it breaks off pieces of the mantle, and uh, these flows bring diamonds up to the surface with them. Uh, and one sort of cool and creepy thing that King mentions offhand is that no one in human history, as far as we know, has ever witnessed the kind of deep source volcanic eruption that brings diamonds to the surface. Uh, these are known as kimberlite eruptions. They are rare compared to normal volcanic eruptions. They're very energetic and explosive, uh, and most of the ones we know about took place long ago. So there are no historical records, like since the dawn of writing, of anybody ever describing or seeing one of these. And it seems like most of the ones that have taken place took place long, long ago. Again, why isn't this in the diamond commercials? Like, uh, like, doesn't your love deserve a diamond forged, in, or not forged, but brought to the surface, towards the surface, in a volcanic eruption so terrifyingly powerful that we've never seen its like in human history? You'd think that would be a selling point. I, you could combine them, actually. You could, have the, you could have, like, the real science facts on one hand, and then, like we said in the other episode, the, you know, the Valley of the Gems legend. So, like, you, yeah. you know, you got to show using the meat to retrieve the diamonds. Yeah, yeah. Like, dig into all that. It, the, the content is there. Use it. So we know that most diamonds that come from Earth are formed deep in the mantle. So why should we not think coal is the source of the carbon in these diamonds? Based on, uh, I did some quick research on this, it seems to me that coal deposits are mostly in the top three kilometers of the Earth's crust. Uh, and remember, diamonds are formed 150 or more kilometers down within the mantle. So the coal would have to somehow get 
from these locations in the top layer of the crust down to like 50 times their normal depth or more underneath a continental plate to supply the carbon to make the diamonds. And that seems kind of unlikely or at least rare. Uh, King thinks a more likely origin for the carbon in diamonds is just carbon that has been present in Earth rocks since early in the planet's formation. And there are sources of carbon that you can find within, you know, the rocks of the Earth. Like I was reading another article about these incredibly explosive kimberlite eruptions. And one thing that seems to happen when uh, these eruptions kick off is that there is like an expansion of CO2 gas deep down in the mantle. Like uh, CO2, there's an area where there's a lot of carbon in the mantle and the CO2 gas starts to come out of solution, uh, much like what happens when you like pop the top on a carbonated soda it starts to come out of solution and turn into a gas and want to rise quickly to the surface. And this, of course, is uh, extremely explosive and violent. However, to come back in the other direction and talk about uh, an analogy to coal being the source of diamond formation, uh, an analogy that is quite possible, uh, King does acknowledge that very small diamonds are sometimes formed in what are called subduction zones. And this is where, so you have different uh, plates of the Earth's crust meeting. You have maybe an oceanic plate that is the, the part of the crust sitting underneath an ocean, and then a continental plate, uh, that's where you would have a continent, and they meet at a sort of joint. And where they meet, the oceanic plate is pushed down underneath the continental plate at this joint where they meet. So in the case of subduction, sedimentary rocks formed on the ocean floor can indeed be shoved down into the mantle, and it does seem that the carbon in these rocks may sometimes form diamonds in, uh, in extreme heat and pressure in this subduction zone. But the rocks in question here would probably not be coal, but King says uh, instead other kinds of carbon-bearing uh, sediment-based rocks that form mostly on the ocean floor, things like limestone and dolomite. Shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples. Rob, as the, uh, the local host with allergies here, they sent you some of their nasal spray to treat your allergies. What was your experience like? Yeah, that's right. I always wrestle with the pollen a bit when it rolls in during the spring. So they sent me the little uh, nasal spray. I tried out the product and yeah, it sure did help me get on top of my symptoms for the day. And it's so fast acting, uh, it was already kicking in before I left the house. Astapro is a first-of-its-kind nasal allergy spray. It's the fastest 24-hour over-the-counter allergy spray. It starts working in 30 minutes, while other allergy sprays take hours. Astapro is the first and only 24-hour steroid-free allergy spray. Astapro delivers full prescription-strength indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. Get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount so you can get Astapro and go today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O allergy.com. Astapro and go. Use this directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, we have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today 
and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. The Daily Show podcast has everything you need to stay on top of today's news and pop culture. You get hilarious satirical takes on entertainment, politics, sports, and more from John and the team of correspondents and contributors. The podcast also has content you can't get anywhere else, like extended interviews and a roundup of the weekly headlines. Listen to The Daily Show, Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, as we get into the final stretch here, I want to get back into this area of um, diamonds and the human body coming together. Again, we dis- we, we, we discussed various past beliefs about the dangers of ingesting diamonds and uh and this inspired me to look a little closer at diamonds in the and the flesh and i wanted to start with one of the more recent and by some perspectives uh more extreme examples of diamond at flesh unity that is of course the forehead diamond implant of american hip-hop performer lil uzi vert born 1995 joe are you familiar with lil uzi vert uh only a little bit I, I think maybe the main thing I know is uh, is from articles about the diamond implant. Yeah, this definitely made a splash. I think there are plenty of people who have not heard Lil Uzi Vert's music, uh, but they are familiar with the story of the diamond implant. I have not heard any of their music. Uh, my my knowledge of like mainstream hip hop is like fifteen to twenty years behind. Mm-hmm. I know I know some indie stuff here and there, but uh, I, I don't know most of the current trends and acts. But it's hard to ignore this particular story. This uh, this all went down in 2021. Uh, it got a f- lot of media coverage. Uh, you might have heard something on late night comedy uh, shows about this. Uh, in, in the way that it was described, I think the way I initially picked up on it, too, it sounded red. I, I kind of got the impression that it was something impulsive, you know, like here's a hip hop artist. And maybe on the spur of the moment, they're like, I like that diamond. I want it in my forehead. And then they did, it. you know, kind of like uh, anybody else in the world might say, you know, get a drunken tattoo or something like that. But no, you're going to say this is a more thought out uh, uh, diamond implant than than that would suggest. Yeah, I had no idea. But I um, I was reading about it on Rolling Stone. Rolling Stone has a, a really nice write up on it. This is um, by uh, Jeff. It has a. And uh, it gets into not only the case with Lil Uzi Vert, but other uh, hip hop stars who have had uh, implants um, similar. Um, But uh, the the way it's described in this article, this all began like in 2017. Um, They had to purchase uh, the reported $24 million diamond, had to pay that off. Uh, Then the implantation was handled by professional jewelers. And I think they're referring to a consult 
uh, by an expert piercer or an, ex- an expert in body modification. So it sounds like it was it was it was uh, it was rather an ordeal to get to the point where the uh, the diamond was actually put in the forehead. Mm-hmm. But it was successfully implanted, um, and, and now reportedly, uh, Lil Uzi Vert didn't keep the diamond implant. Uh, it came out during some crowd surfing at a concert, but then they put it back in for a later concert, but then ultimately replaced it with a piercing. They still have the diamond, though. So um, uh, the way it was reported, you know, a lot of late night shows had some fun with this idea, too, that the diamond came out or was, quote, ripped out during a concert that maybe made it sound like it was stolen. But that doesn't seem to be the case. Hmm. I was also impressed that, and again, this is just based on some articles I was looking at, but they said that uh, that Vert is a huge fan of the animated series Steven Universe, and this was an influence on the choice in getting a, a pink forehead diamond. So uh, uh, I am familiar with Steven Universe, great show, so I would I got to say, great choice. I know nothing about that show, except I, kn- I know it has big fans. Um, uh, what, so is there a character with a, a diamond in their forehead on the show? Yeah, yeah, there there's some like there's some gemstone powers going on in that show. It, it's it's good. It's a, it's a it's a a family, you know, slash kids animated series on cartoon. Uh has some great, you know, feel good energy to it. Highly recommend it. Nice. Now, while Lil Uzi Vert uh probably got the most attention for their diamond implant, uh they were not the first. Um the Rolling Stone article points out that rapper Young Thug had a diamond teardrop implanted on his face in 2016. I couldn't find out much else about that one. Also, there was a rapper by the name of Sauce Walka had, who had a diamond facial implant, and another rapper, Lil Pump, also had or has a diamond facial implant. So this seems to be a, a, tr- a this is not a trend that's that's isolated to a single individual. Uh, we have multiple individuals out there in the world who have or have had uh, this procedure. Now, that Rolling Stone article includes um, um, some comments from uh, Simon Babev speaking on behalf of the New York-based jewelers uh, Eliante and company that were involved with um, with this particular forehead uh, diamond, uh, the, the pink uh, uh, diamond of Lil Uzi Vert. And um, uh, uh, he says the following, quote, in the body modification world, they usually do everything in stainless steel or surgical-grade steel, but in our case, we did everything with precious metals. We engineered a specific mounting that clips and locks in place. There's a whole mechanism involved. It's not a standard piercing. A specific piece and part were both engineered with millimeter precision to get this put on Lil Uzi Vert. So, again, I think an important takeaway from this is the diamond is not set directly in the forehead. It's not certainly not set in the skull or anything like that. I, when it came out, a lot of people made jokes uh, referring to a scene in uh, one of the uh, uh, Avengers films in which uh, uh, like an android character's uh, uh, gem um, uh, stone is ripped out of their forehead. And, you know, it's not quite the same. Um, and then uh, so, so it's ultimately mounted in metal uh, and then that metal is implanted in the flesh, you know, much like a, a diamond uh, is is mounted in a ring and like a diamond is mounted in an earring which of course is then mounted in the flesh oh okay so you know obviously given the price tag on some of these diamonds this i mean this is all extravagant uh, though in the end perhaps not all that weirder than any other form of body modification including more mainstream forms that we take for granted and don't even necessarily think of as body modification like a standard ear piercing is so mainstream that 
you, you don't necessarily think of it as body modification. Um, but again, come, coming back to the idea of a diamond earring uh, in, in comparison, a diamond mounted in a piece of metal jewelry that is then secured to the human ear by one of several traditional methods, but most often via a hole punched in the earlobe. Right. I mean, that absolutely is body modification. It, I, I guess for some reason, this phrase evokes uh, uh, associations of less common body modifications. Yeah. And of course, a lot of that just has to do with like what culture one is in. You mm -hmm. know, there there's so many forms of piercing and body modification that are thought of as new and counterculture today. And they may very, you know, they are generally perhaps counter to the mainstream culture, at least at least in Western nations. But they are often based on older traditions in other cultures, you know, traditions that were more standard and would not have been thought of as counterculture in those specific cultures. Mm -hmm. So humans have engaged in ear piercing since very ancient times. I mean, the, the origins of the practice are ultimately lost to the myths of prehistory. Um, Let's see, the Iceman, for instance, lived, who lived between um, 3350 and 3105 BCE. Uh, this is, we've talked about Otsu before with the, you know, his well-preserved body uh, and, uh, and, and articles on his body that have provided a great deal of evidence about like, what life was like or may have been like for individuals during this time period. Uh, there is also evidence that he had a pierced ear and an earring. We also have um, Sumerian graves from Ur that give us evidence of pierced ears from around 2500 BCE. We have Egyptian ear piercings. The, the, this pushes the evidence, uh, in this case, back to 1600 BCE. We have Chinese examples that go back to 1000 BCE. South American examples date back to between 1800 BCE and 3000 BCE. Plus, the, just a lot of the literature of the ancient world makes at least passing mention of, of ear rings, of ear piercings. Uh, so, you know, there's, there's, there's a rich and varied history here of poking a hole through part of the earlobe or parts of the earlobe and inserting things for decorative purposes. But of course, we're not just talking about piercings and earrings in general here. We're talking about diamonds. We're talking about ultimately mounting a diamond in your flesh. And when we get back into diamonds, you can probably guess where some of the oldest evidence of diamond earrings is going to take us. It's, of course, going to take us to India. Right. So as we discussed in previous episodes in the series, it seems that in the ancient world, India was a real hot spot of diamond mining and diamond use in culture. Yeah, yeah. And definitely a place where yeah, they had diamonds the longest and a place where diamonds be were upgraded to gem status um, earlier than, you know, than other places. So, uh, yeah. And, and again, to drive home, like for the for the longest, like diamonds in the world came from India. Yeah. So Jack Ogden in Diamonds, an early history of the King of Gems, which we referenced in uh, the earlier episodes as well, um, he he points out a couple of examples of of um, of, of these uh, old uh, diamond uh, earrings. Uh, he includes uh, in his book an ear decoration from the 10th to 11th century CE. This is diamond and pink sapphire, to be specific, set in gold. And Ogden adds that it's probably an earring, but similar artifacts from Java were actually vervals. These are decorative rings that went on a hawk or a pet bird's leg. Whoa. Uh, so it's interesting ambiguity regarding uh, uh, some of these things. But he also includes an example of a golden earring from the first century BCE uh, from India, classified as an early earring fragment. So suffice to say that we've been combining diamonds with our anatomy for more than 2,000 years. 
But how long have we been using them for our teeth? Because, you know, I've already mentioned musical performers, but also you have athletes, you have other celebrities who sometimes show up with diamond uh, uh, implants on their teeth, some sort of diamond dental work going on, mm-hmm. um, grills and so forth. Uh, hell, I was looking into this a little bit. We talked about like, you know, some of these older ideas about, you know, don't put a diamond in your mouth because the, like, the venom of the snakes from the Valley of Gems will, will kill you mm-hmm. uh, and, and other ideas. Um, Health-wise, the main concerns, and there don't seem to be a lot of like overt health concerns with grills, for example. Um, most of the health concerns at all seem to relate to things like prolonged usage. Like these are not things that are seemingly designed to just be worn day in, day out. These are for special occasions. These are for concerts. These are for media appearances or what have you. Um, and on top of that, pot- potential allergic reactions to base metals and if they're actually used in said grill, and also just the responsibility of keeping uh, something that goes into your mouth clean uh, and so forth. But I didn't run across any concerns related specifically to the presence of diamonds themselves. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, we have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. The Daily Show podcast has everything you need to stay on top of today's news and pop culture. You get hilarious satirical takes on entertainment, politics, sports, and more from John and the team of correspondents and contributors. The podcast also has content you can't get anywhere else, like extended interviews and a roundup of the weekly headlines. Listen to The Daily Show, Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Now, it's worth noting that while a lot of, uh, you know, current of the current popularity of elaborate grills has its roots seemingly in like 1980s hip-hop culture i think a lot of it coming out of like new york and there's of course a strong connection here to dental procedures that replace teeth or portions of teeth with precious metals and or jewelry 
but the use of gold dental appliances goes back centuries. And one of the most fascinating examples are the dental appliances of the Etruscans. Uh, these go back as far as 630 BCE. Hmm. Uh, there's a really good article. This is a, this was published on Vice back in 2014 called the uh, titled The Ancient History of Grills by Lauren Schwartzberg. Uh, I, I highly recommend giving this a read. It, it goes into a, a lot more depth than I'm going to cover here. But just to, to hit on some of the main points the author brings out that relate to what we're talking about. Uh, first of all, there's a pervasive idea that grills originated in ancient Egypt. And I think this is something you can probably find like repeated on certain websites, like we were saying. But this was apparently due to an early 20th century archaeological find that consisted of two teeth, two human teeth, actual teeth, woven together with a gold wire. And this was dated to 2500 BCE, uh, and this was in Giza. Uh, early interpretations of this artifact were that this wire work was done while the individual was still alive, that this was some sort of a dental procedure. But the more popular interpretation, the more recent interpretation, is that these teeth probably came out, um, you know, fell out or had to be pulled out and were kept as a pendant, um, you know, worn around the neck or something. And then the individual was buried with them. So as Schwarzberg points out, there does not seem to be strong evidence for ancient Egyptian gold or metal teeth. Mm, okay, so this would just be that the gold wire is used to hold together the teeth that the person is perhaps keeping after they've they've come out of their mouth for whatever reason, magical or otherwise. Right. But indeed, as uh, Schwarzberg points out, the Etruscans of ancient Italy from around 800 BCE to 200 BCE did have gold dental appliances, uh, teeth woven uh, with delicate golden wire. And apparently this would have been the domain of high status women that apparently would actually have some front teeth removed in order to make uh, room for a like this gold band appliance that would be inserted with either replacement or reused teeth. So to be clear, though, this was not functional. This is not something you could apparently they could have apparently eaten with, but it was it was decorative and it was a status symbol. So you would be, am I understanding this right? Then this would mean you're sort of giving up some of your your mouth's eating power in order to have this decorative item? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so the author here cites Gene uh, McIntosh Turfa, who wrote a book called The Golden Smile, The Etruscans and the History of Dentistry, uh, cited in this article. And uh, yeah, apparently this it was a mark of freedom and power. Like, So this wasn't something, I mean, you can get into probably complex uh, analysis of societal pressure for various beauty trends and so forth. But mm. for the most part, it sounds like this was something that uh, the women in question did because it established their status. And it said, hey, I don't need functional front teeth. Like I have I have cooks that will cook food for me uh, that I that I can eat regardless of, of what my uh, um, uh, the functionality of my teeth. This mm. is about, uh, you know, showing that um, that I have this uh, heightened status. You know, I have wealth. I have power. And I do not have to live like common people. Wow. Yeah. Now, we've, we've mentioned Etruscans uh, before because a lot of uh, there are a number of ideas that the Romans ran with that they got from the Etruscans. I mean, the, the Romans, as we've discussed many times, they, they were not shy about taking technologies as well as beliefs and fads from the cultures that they conquered and absorbed. But the grills did not transfer, and then they and they did not remain a popular aspect of, um, of of Etruscan culture under the Romans, or they and they were also not absorbed into Roman culture either. Mm -hmm. 
Now, in terms of putting gems in teeth, uh, and, and we, we see this today, again, with diamond dental implants. I'm not going to run through all the various, you can find lists online of all the, the various um, musical artists and celebrities who have, din- have diamonds and other gems in their mouth of one design or another. But Schwarzberg does point uh, out that we have an example from Mayan civilization. Uh, during the classic period, 300 to 900 CE, Mayan royalty would often have um, uh, small holes drilled into their upper teeth, and then you would, they would have round pieces of jade implanted into those teeth, again, as a status symbol. Uh, the article goes into, again, more depth, uh, more ancient history, but also a lot more recent history of dental augmentations like this. Um, the author does point out that in the Philippines, there were also traditions that go back I think around uh, 1300 CE, in which you would have gold wrappings and gold pegs in teeth uh, as another form of dental uh, augmentation, again, to uh, announce one's status uh, uh, more than anything else. All right, I have one final area uh, to touch on here on the fusion of the human body with diamond, and that concerns the proposition of diamond hip replacements. So I, uh, I ran across this. I was looking at articles about this that date back to at least the late 1990s. And then a more recent paper published in a 2022 issue of ACS Applied Materials and Interfaces uh, that continues to discuss the possibility. Of diamond hip replacement. So what would be the advantage of using diamond in, in an artificial hip? Well, traditional hip replacements tend to be made out of titanium. And yes, titanium's great. Uh, it almost has this, that status of fictional adamantium, at least in casual usage, right? Um, but the idea here is that there are still limitations to titanium, but you could enhance the titanium or some other traditional metal by covering it with a kind of diamond coating that would even better be even better. This would provide lower friction, um, higher wear and corrosion resistance, as well as an improved bonding surface to the bone. Uh, so, you know, in uh, not only making it more durable, uh, but also just like letting it interface with bone a little easier. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. So according to Zalikas et al. in the 2022 ACS paper, uh, quote, Despite the excellent biocompatibility and superior mechanical properties, the major challenge of using diamond for implants, such as those used in hip hip arthroplasty, is the limitation of microwave plasma chemical vapor deposition, or CVD, techniques to synthesize diamond on complex-shaped objects. So what they're talking about here, this this is a process that involves depositing a solid material from a gaseous phase. Um, and they go on to present a new CVD technique to apply diamond coating. Uh, I'm not going to get into all the technical details of this. Uh, it, uh, some of it kind of washed over me, to be honest. But, but like, the general idea is that there seem to be a lot of um, uh, experts out there who think, like, this could be the way that we enhance and improve the functionality of hip, um, hip replacements, uh, these hip implants. Um, but we're just not quite there it seems, when it comes to figuring out the best way to apply said diamonds. Hmm. And again, it don't, if you're imagining like a sort of blinged out um, you know, human hip or hip replacement, I don't think that's quite what it would look like. We're, again, talking more uh, in the world of like, uh, you know, micro and nano diamonds that are suspended and, uh, uh, and so forth. It's like a coating. Uh, but it, I think it's interesting 
how these ideas kind of come back to some of the, the ideas we were discussing earlier. You know, diamonds implanted in the body, but not as mere decoration in this case, but as a functional coating for a metal implant. And it also gets us close, maybe a little bit, to that fictional idea of Wolverine and his adamantium-coated bones, or Diamond Patch and his presumably a, a diamond-based skeleton. If only Benvenuto Cellini could know that it, we'd have medical science talking about diamond-based coatings for uh, for implants in the human body. Yeah. <laughs> After his uh, soliloquy on how they they cut your guts apart. Yeah, yeah. And, and in this case, diamonds essentially put inside the human body as a way to improve the functionality of, uh, of, of medical implants. It's, it's pretty amazing. All right. Should we cap our exploration of diamonds there? I believe so. You know, it's possible some other stuff's going to come up in listener mail, in, in which case, you know, write in. Uh, tell us about it. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. A, a lot of you have uh, certainly have more experience with diamonds than we do. Uh, you might be aware of some other nuggets from um, diamond culture around the world, uh, from diamond mythologies around the world. Uh, we're always game to learn more. As we close out here, just a reminder that Stuff to Blow Your Mind is primarily a science podcast with core episodes on Tuesdays and Thursdays. On Mondays, we do listener mail. On Wednesdays, we do a short form episode. And on Fridays, we set aside most serious concerns to just talk about a weird film on Weird House Cinema. Huge thanks, as always, to our excellent audio producer, J.J. Posway. If you would like to get in touch with us with feedback on this episode or any other, to suggest a topic for the future, or just to say hello, you can email us at contact at stufftoblowyourmind.com. Stuff to Blow Your Mind is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. Join late-night legend John Stewart and the best news team for today's biggest headlines, exclusive extended interviews, and more. Now this is a second term we can all get behind. Listen to The Daily Show Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Every family has an origin story, one passed down through the generations. Mine happens to be a mystery involving my great-great-grandmother left behind in Sicily. I'm Joe Piazza, and my new podcast will transport you to the gorgeous island of Sicily as I trace my roots back through a whodunit for the ages. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Podcasts.